<laughs> you're gonna okay. cough all the way through. I'm this. gonna try not to cough the entire time. Oh, you're sick. <coughs> you're gonna have to edit so many coughs out. So many coughs. I'm gonna try really hard though. Really hard. Welcome to a new creation podcast. My name's Amy and I'm here with my husband, Jason. Hello. Why are you laughing already? Because you sound like you're sick. I, I am sick, but I'm here. And my story today is about somebody who is sick. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for it? Of course. Okay. So in 2013, 46-year-old Paul Baxter got really sick. In just a few days, he developed a terrible cough and could barely speak from coughing. He went to his doctor, who initially diagnosed him with pneumonia and put him on a course of treatment. After several months of coughing, can you imagine how terrible that would be? He was still sick, so his doctor referred him to a respiratory clinic to see a pulmonologist. Um, the first thing they did was a chest x-ray, and in the x-ray they saw a really ugly shadow in his lung. So initially they thought this was surely lung cancer. But before the doctor just started going in there and like cutting into his lung, he said, let's go ahead and do a scope, and we'll go down your trachea into your lungs, and we'll have a look. Um, the scope had a camera on the end of it so he could see you know, when they were going into his lungs. And Paul was awake for all of this. I know, right? I don't think I'd want to be awake, but he was awake for this. So during the procedure, um, the doctor noticed that there was this, he could see this, whatever this thing was. He could kind of like see this big mass in his lung. So the doctor like zooms in a little bit closer and he saw something orange sticking out of this mass. And the doctor told Paul, there's little grabbers on the end of the scope so I'm just going to try to remove this thing, like move the lung tissue aside and just remove whatever this foreign object is. But the doctor was unable to get a hold of it because the pincers were too small. So he told Paul he would have to come back in a few days and he could use like a bigger scope with longer pincers. What are your thoughts so far? Is this like a special on surgery or something he was getting? Like a um, two for one deal or something? It was a scope, just to scope his lung. So they didn't just like open up his chest and start pulling out lung tissue, they thought, well, let's go in and look and see if we can see the mass to make sure it's like, you know, a cancer, it's cancer, and then they can treat it. And But but he saw something orange. I feel like you can't just wing stuff like that in your lung. <laughs> like you just, you probably need to like maybe give it a little bit more uh, thought. Yeah. But can you imagine leaving and now you know there's something that's like bright orange just in your lung and nobody knows what it is? All right. So... Paul asked the doctor what it could be, and the doctor said, I don't know, but there shouldn't be anything orange in your lung. A few days later, Paul went back, and with a more powerful probe, the doctor was able to remove the foreign object. So as soon as he pulled it free, everyone watches the screen, including Paul, and saw this small triangular orange object, and they could not figure out what it was. They could see it on the end of the scope, this like small triangular orange object being pulled out of his lung. Once the probe was removed and the doctor laid the small orange object in the tray, everyone was amazed to discover that it was a small orange traffic cone, like something from a child's playset. It's a traffic cone. Yeah. A small My orange traffic cone. Yeah. God, God would only know how that would end up in his lung. Well, God and Paul, because as soon as Paul <laughs> saw it, a memory came rushing back to him from when Paul was seven years old and he swallowed, or he thought he swallowed, a traffic cone from one of his play sets that looked an awful lot like this. 
And now he realized that he had not swallowed the tiny traffic cone, but in fact, he had inhaled it. And somehow he had no problems for 39 years. And then all of a sudden he had this like cough that would not go away. I guess there is some levity there. Like we all thought that he had, you know, pretty bad lung cancer. And now it's just a tiny traffic cone from what I assume was like the early 70s. (laughs) Before they apparently they had better, you know, toy standards. Like do not give to children. Or I don't know. He was seven. So not even children or two. Like why... Was there a traffic cone in your mouth, Paul? Why was he eating traffic cones? I don't know. But Paul got to keep the traffic cone. And that's after- part of the, the, uh, the nutritional pyramid there. They used to tell <laughs> traffic us in school. Cone. <laughs> he, after it was removed, he was fine. He had no more problems. But the reason I thought, the reason this story stuck out to me as I listened to a multitude of stories and trying to pick these out, I pick out ones that feel personal. And this one felt, <laughs> this one felt personal because as a child, I ate everything. Everything. Did you ever put things, like, did you ever just eat things that weren't food? I can't remember. I think I ate a Lincoln log one time. Maybe. I can't remember if I did or not. I might not have. I think my parents thought I ate a Lincoln log, but I did not. Turns out I did not eat the Lincoln log, but they thought I had. But I was super, it was when I was Sorry. in Montana, so I had to be like under five. Yeah, well, huh. I remember, I remember going into the backyard and making, like, I'd get my mom's pie pans and make mud pies and then eat them. <laughs> and I also remember eating. I think that'd be like a one and done, wouldn't it? Like, you, uh, no, you, oh you would gosh. think, but I, I think that I did that on a on numerous occasions. Also, I ate a lot of Barbie shoes, a lot of Barbie shoes. I remember eating a lot of Barbie shoes, Barbie jewelry, bar, a lot of Barbie related items. So, as I kind of like fight through this current cold I have, I can't help but think that maybe there's like... Barbie? Like yeah. a whole Barbie playset in your lungs? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was thinking maybe just a shoe, but yeah, maybe there's like entire like Malibu like a Barbies. Car, a Kindle, <laughs> the Malibu Barbie house. A lot of mud. In your lungs. Yeah, mud. and a lot of mud. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know you're seven. I get back to the story of Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're seven, and you think you ate a traffic cone. Either way, if that's going in you, it's not a good thing. Like, whichever way it went. Lungs or esophagus. But think, okay, first off, think about a seven-year-old boy eating a traffic cone. He's probably (laughs) not telling anybody. And then also, too, take into effect that this he was in his childhood in his 70s. So even if he was like, Mom, I ate a traffic cone, she would be like, okay. Let me know if your stomach hurts, and then we'll wait a little bit longer, and then we'll go to the doctor. Maybe. Maybe. So apparently he didn't tell anybody. But I do want to say for the record, I was not seven when I ate mud. I might have been, I might have been eating Barbie shoes into my grade school years, but I was like maybe three when I ate mud. So it makes me feel a little bit better about that. I should. <coughs> All right. Sorry, Barbie shoe. All right, are you ready for our Bible? Yes, first? definitely. Okay. Definitely. Why do you say definitely every time? <laughs> you know you love those stories. Okay, so today is from Matthew. It's a Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Love it. I do too. I love that verse. So the reason that that stuck out to me is I remember being Christmas time. Do you remember a few years ago when Cheyenne Hills Church had the um, draft horses with the the big carriage? The draft horses were pulling the carriage around that back parking lot area and you could ride on it. It was like Christmas Eve service. Yeah, faintly. I do remember that now. And so I remember being on that and it was David, I think it was, oh, maybe it was Abby wanted to ride it a bunch. And so like we were on it when no one else was. And so the guy was kind of explaining to us about the draft horses. And so there was two horses. It was a team of two. And these are those great big Percheron horses, right? It was like super powerful horses. And I asked him, I was like, is one a male and one a female? Because one looked a lot bigger. And, um, and I think actually they were both males. One was just slightly smaller. And he said, it's important that you have one that basically is in charge, right? He's the one who knows where to go. He's the one that's basically taking the commands. He's the one that's guiding the, the, the coach everywhere. He's the one who's doing the majority of the pulling. But he, and then the, the other horse needs to be more of a submissive horse. And it needs to just constantly, and so the entire time, that smaller horse is constantly looking over to the bigger horse, looking over to the bigger horse. And all that other horse does is just basically pull like a fraction of the weight. But the team together is what is so powerful, is that team together makes that carriage move. And so it made me think of like, which, what a beautiful picture when we think of Jesus telling us to take upon his yoke. He's basically saying like, let me carry the load for you. Constantly look to me. I'm going to take us in the right direction. I'm going to guide us where we need to go. I'm going to do the majority of the work. Like all you have to do is look towards me. Because the minute we look away and the minute that smaller horse looks away, they start pulling the yoke. And then as soon as they pull the yoke, the amount of weight that's on that horse shifts. And so all of a sudden that smaller horse is taking way more of the weight from that yoke and it's going to feel extremely heavy and they're not going to be able to go anywhere. And of course, you've got two horses that are pulling in different directions, right? So it's going to feel like a super arduous task and the carriage isn't going to go anywhere. The same thing holds true with Jesus. That as soon as we look away and we start kind of veering off on the path that he's kind of laid out for us, we take upon the weight of the world a lot more. Because when we're walking close to him and we're looking to him and we're letting him lead and guide, he's carrying that weight for us. But the minute we kind of turn away, we take that weight upon us. And it feels burdensome and it feels heavy and it feels unmanageable. And the worst part is, is we don't go anywhere. We just have that weight on our shoulders and we're kind of at a standstill. And I just thought that was the perfect picture to explain this. And I, I can't help but also think that, you know, when you're looking at a team of, of oxen, that the same would hold true as a team of Percheron. And so when, when Jesus is using this example, he's speaking in a, in a parable, in a metaphor that um, it like surpasses time. You know, no matter if, if you're in 2023 or if you're in the year 33 or 30 A.D., like this story is going to make sense and it's going to be something that we can identify with pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you got it. You hit the head right on the, or the nail right on the head. I don't know. I really like that verse. I think it just leads itself to make sure we're not just trying to do this on our own. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we're, uh, we need fellowship. We need mm-hmm. community. You can't be in an echo chamber of your head. Definitely. And I think in any community, though, I mean, you're just left to, the voices inside our heads mm-hmm. and instead of reaching out and trying to get God inside there. No, I, I just, I think it's, it's so important. And that's, and as we, uh, not to, not to jump into the, 
to the lessons and stuff, but I mean, that's why that, that sponsor and those accountability partners are so important mm-hmm. in recovery and, and just to have those people on that walk with you and that, that are walking either with you or they're a little bit ahead of you, mm-hmm. or maybe sometimes they're even behind you. And just that reminder to, to kind of like focus people back to this verse of, you know, if we are modeling that, that we're leaning on God, that we're resting in God, that we're, you know, completely submitting to the will of God and where he wants us to go and that we're not trying to like approach these things on our own. When we model that behavior, when we model the idea that Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 gives us of, you know, we're turning to Jesus. And so when others see, wow, this person's really going through it, you know, they're really, they should be struggling a whole lot more. How, how are they able to shoulder this burden? And in that realization of like, hey, we're not shouldering, I'm not shouldering it. Jesus is shouldering the weight for this. All I have to do is just keep my eyes on him. That's one of the biggest things I think God gives us fellowship for is he gives us the ability to just remind people of, you know, that there is sanctuary in the midst of a storm, that there is something, there is someone who wants to take that burden for us. But yeah, definitely. Like the the vulnerability and the pride and that, and that I should be able to take care of myself. I should be able to do it on my own. I should be. But at the same time, I mean, if you have somebody to lean on, and help you with that, and, and, and the God of the universe, and his son, Jesus Christ, or just, you know, some, some accountability partners, some people, some brothers walking in Christ, mm-hmm. and, and, and that are going to tell you the truth, and that have, that are walking, because you don't want to hook your wagon to the wrong horse, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, but... <laughs> yeah, there you go, that's a, even, that, that metaphor certainly speaks volumes, doesn't it? Because you could have another horse that is trying to make you think, I'm going to shoulder the weight for you, but they're, man, they're taking you down the wrong path, you know? Mm-hmm. So what God is asking us to do is keep your eyes on me. Keep looking at me. Keep looking over to me. And again, I just thought that was such a beautiful picture of that smaller horse. The entire time just kept looking over, looking over, looking over. And I was like, man, if, if this horse can get it, I can get it, right? Then I'm really thankful that God makes things like that simple for us to understand. Mm-hmm. He shows us the path. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, I'm over here on this mountain, figure out how to get to me. Right. It's not like you have to go, man, what did he mean by mm-hmm. that? <laughs> you know, it's like this deep thoughts with the Jesus. It's not. It's it's literally he's telling you a story and using that story to teach you. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, like open your ears to hear it. For sure. Okay, so we did spiritual inventory on Friday. Um, and it was awesome. I took like, a, I took a ton of notes. And it really kind of spoke to me about, you know, We've done that moral inventory, but those things that kind of get stuck in our spirit that we don't maybe focus as much on as those big moral injury items, but they still cause moral injury. And so it's important for us to look at them. And, and are we walking the way that we talk, you know, being one person at church, but being a different person at work, like you were talking about and, and how difficult it is to marry those things up. Um, the one thing that stuck out to me that I thought was, was, could be our topic for tonight that I thought was so good because it's it's so present in our lives right now is have you ever made yourself seem better or bigger or, you know, have you ever exaggerated your accolades so that um, you seemed better than you were, I guess, I guess is what the question was. And then also you look at society and I mean, Facebook, Instagram, all of those things, it's everybody putting their best foot forward. It's everybody making their life and their kids and their family and, you know, everything seem like it's so much better than it is. And not only is that destructive for us because we're not walking in our truth, but it's destructive for others because we're making other people feel small 
when we're just trying to feel big. Yeah. The thing you were showing me the other night, Instagram versus reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's totally social media. Talking about making yourself out to be something you aren't. And it's like the, the, the question is, the question I find myself asking me, um, trying to get to the bottom of that, is like, why? Mm -hmm. Why did I do that? I did that, yes. Lots, tons of times I did that. You know, say a story and it happened this way, but then I say like something else that makes it look better, better light on me. Why do we do that? You know, what is the, the, the actual why behind that? And it's like, are we worried about what these people think? Are we worried about what the world mm -hmm. thinks? You know, are we worried, worried about how the world will see us? Are they, that's kind of the human condition. I mean, we are so worried about what other people think. You're not being honest all the time with it. Like if you tell a story, and it's truthful, it's truthful, it's truthful, but then at the end you ingratiate it mm -hmm. or, or boast about it or, or blow it up a little bit. That's still like a lie. To believe that I was honest is, is mm -hmm. totally false. Like I, I had lots of things I wasn't honest about. And I'm trying to walk in that, that truth now. Not my truth, not the world's truth, but God's truth and mm -hmm. what he says I am. You know, because we get in this world and we think we need to tell them this and tell them that mm -hmm. and tell them about our, you know, our boat, and our house and our car and our whatever, our life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, some people are just hurting and just need to, you just need to listen to them. But anyway. We're at like 32 minutes. I know. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> How can we talk so long? We talk for so long. If everyone, I just want to let everyone out there know that the 15 minutes, 15 mm -hmm. to 17 minutes that I condense these down to is real hard because you and I talk a whole lot. But that's okay because I just recently heard a study that you should talk to your spouse for 90 minutes <laughs> every week. So we get 30 of it, 40 of it out of the way every Sunday night when we record. Mm -hmm. So there's that. You can come and visit us every Friday night at Emmaus Road Community Church in Laramie at 6 p.m. We're there every Friday. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook at Celebrate Recovery Emmaus Road. And you can come back here every Tuesday morning. We'll have a new episode of a new creation podcast. We just appreciate you guys, and we just pray a lot of blessing over all of you. We love you. Good night. Good night.